It's time to talk UK sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Reports Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats. Tom Leach. And a good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Reefer sitting in for Tom Leach this morning. Uh, had a little uh, issue there. Just barely made it on. My goodness. Uh, unfamiliar with my surroundings at times. And uh, it was it's one button. Just, just the push of one button. And, and this show uh, w- barely made it on the air. So thank you to Tim Anstead for uh, taking care of that. Uh, today's show, we have Mike Pratt coming up in the next couple of segments. We'll talk to him uh, about all things Kentucky basketball. And then a little later, Justin Rowland in the second half hour. Uh, and then we finish up with Darren Hedrick, the U.K. women's basketball team, beginning SEC tournament play tomorrow. And then, of course, the uh, baseball team has a weekend home series as well. Speaking of baseball, we'll start there with the Wildcat News of the Day, presented by Cardinal Point Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. The U.K. baseball team beat Murray State at Kentucky Proud Park on a walk-off home run by freshman John Rhodes, which was part of a three-hit night for Rhodes. He's from uh, Chattanooga. In two games this week, Rhodes has gone five for seven. He had that homer last night along with two doubles, four RBI, he has reached base in eight of his ten plate appearances. The Wildcats begin a three-game home series against Bradley Friday with first pitch set for 4 o'clock. Also, Kentucky qualified 14 entries for the NCAA Indoor Track and Field Championships in Albuquerque on March 13th and 14th. That ties the school record for most entries. And it includes former Henry Clay standout, Langston Jackson. He'll be running in both the 60-meter and 200-meter. I mean, if you haven't heard of Langston Jackson this year, he's freshman out of Henry Clay, and he has been blowing up uh, in indoor track and field for Kentucky. He's We're going to see him in the Olympics some someday, no doubt about it. All right, links to these stories on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. All right, we're going to take a first break, and coming up next, we will talk to Mike Pratt here on the Leach Report. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Coming up next, it's Kentucky Sports Radio with Matt Jones. I'm Dan Reefer, sitting in for Tom Leach this morning. We are now joined by Mike Pratt. Segments with Mike are brought to you by Boone's Butcher Shop in Bardstown. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Dan, I'm doing well. And you? I am doing fantastic. I am loving the recent uh, uh, trend in warmer weather here. It's beginning to feel a lot like spring. I hope it uh, hope it stays this way. And the racetracks will be open soon. So it's oh, good. <laughs> indeed they will. Indeed they will. Well, at the other night, it was uh, just an awful second half by Kentucky. Uh, just an ugly collapse. Uh, you know, it was it was so uncharacteristic of what we had seen out of this team. Uh, you're talking about uh, the SEC's leader in field goal percentage defense. 
and Tennessee shoots above 50%. Uh, you're talking about uh, a Kentucky team that has done pretty well rebounding the ball. I mean, they're not great, but they've they've held their own, and they were out-rebounded horribly in the second half. Uh it was just it was just a collapse there. What do you make of that? What are your takeaways from from what you saw of the final seventeen minutes of that game against Tennessee? Well, I, you, you're right about it, uh, most of that. Um, you know, they started right out of the shoot, built that lead to what seventeen early in the second half, and then let them back in and uh, found themselves one down with what six to go or. And then the bottom really fell out. I mean, it was a it was a gradual collapse, but the bottom fell out in the last six minutes. But you know, Kentucky's the one of the five best defensive teams against the two pointer, and uh, Fulkerson just wore them out, just flat wore them out, uh, and really hurt that defensive rating. And that kid had a terrific ball game. I mean, he was uh, he was just fantastic. He had a terrific ball game. Got to give him a lot of credit. Scored a lot of different ways, but I, I you know. I shouldn't. Uh, I shouldn't second guess people, or and uh, but or talk about people or blame people. And I think the collapse was totally team. And I think you get to a point when you play a team twice and you beat you beat them once, and uh, then you're 17 up, and you have a tendency to relax. Okay, yeah. you go. Well, they can't catch me. They can't. Uh, they're not going to be able to beat me. I got them where I want them. And you relax, and then you then you feel tired because you relax. You tell yourself you're tired, and the next thing you know, you wake up and you're in a you're you're in a a wrestling match with this team, you know. And and they're they're close to you. Then they overtake you, and and it's uh, pretty hard to deal with at that point, Dan. I mean, it's uh, it, it's a deal where the bottom falls out. If you make a couple shots, you rescue yourself. If you don't. And you saw in the last uh, two minutes of play, the shot selection and the turnovers just killed Kentucky. And I'm sure they felt like, well, we can pull it out now. We've done that most of the year, and right. let's go, let's go do that. But they they couldn't get it done. Uh, it was uh, one of those games. Tennessee was just better, um, and they wanted it more down the stretch than Kentucky did. They were willing to sacrifice down the stretch and lay it on the line. And Kentucky was was backing up and couldn't get their weight forward. They were on their heels the whole most of the second half. Yeah, Kenny Payne mentioned he hoped it was a wake-up call, uh, and you mentioned that this has been uh, nothing new. I mean, Kentucky's done this all season long where they've built double-digit leads and then let teams come back in and not put them away, and then they've been able to, to figure it out at the end and, and hold on, uh, and this time they didn't. Uh, you think this is a valuable lesson? I mean, it comes at a. If it is a lesson that they do learn, it comes at a at a good time. Well, it is a good lesson. I mean, make no mistake about it. It's a very good lesson. The question is, will you learn from this lesson? Okay, we all go to school at times, and they're teaching good stuff, and you're supposed to be listening, and you don't. You know? So, I mean, if they learn from this, yes, it, it it is a good lesson, and it's a painful lesson, but. Many times, most of our best lessons and greatest experiences come from uh, really tough situations that you're involved in. And that was tough. That should embarrass those guys. They should feel bad uh, about how they played. And on the good side, it should motivate them. It should make them button down more and realize that they're at the point in the season now where every little thing counts, every detail and every ounce of effort counts. 
Well, what everyone is talking about, Mike, and and uh, Kentucky fans, and maybe uh, you know, also looking at this loss as part of coming out of what happened on the bench um, on Tuesday night, where uh, John Calipari goes to Ashton Hagen's uh, somewhere around the 16-minute mark or so and asks him to go back in the game, and Ashton uh, does not comply with Coach, and Coach Cal says, well, you can go to the locker room if you want, and then the strength coach comes over, and he's in an argument there, and people all around saw it. Uh, you know, the team saw it. How much of an effect do you think that has uh, in a game well, you know, it's hard to tell. Uh, they were across the floor from me. And, you know, Cal, Cal likes interchanges with his players. He's always liked that. Al McGuire liked that. There's a lot of coaches that uh, had no problem with a serious dialogue with their players and and uh, got away with it, and uh, it worked. Now, how, how this reflects going forward, we'll have to see. And uh, Calipari coaches um, – his doghouse, you get in it very quickly if you don't pay attention, but you can get out. Okay, he's, yeah. he's jerked guys out and puts them back in after he talks to them or one of the assistants do. So, you know, his doghouse is not an extended doghouse. It's a short stay if you come back out and change what you're doing to what they want done as, as a team. So it's up to Ashton, and I'm sure that Cal's talked to him, a bunch. One of the some of the assistants have talked to him. I think they'll work it out. Uh, in the heat of the moment, a lot of things are said, and it's uh, that was that was a tough situation. But so far, it seems like it's been handled well. You you were a coach. Did you ever have that? Did you ever have a player say to you, uh, "No, I'm not going in, coach"? No, I never had that. I, I never had that. I had coaches want uh, coaches players want to discuss what what I mean. And what I'm trying to do, and they may not agree, um, but I've had that. But I've never had a player tell me that he wasn't going in. No. Well, also, as you know, put yourself in John Calipari's shoes. Uh, this isn't something that's um, uh, internal anymore. It's it's out there. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, this is you know the the hottest topic among Kentucky fans right now. They're all talking about it. There's speculation. There's uh, the worst end of it, which is people attacking Ashton Hagens on social media directly. What would you do in John Calipari's situation now uh, moving forward? Like, how would you handle it, not necessarily with Ashton, but how would you handle it publicly? Would you just kind of brush it to the side, or would you uh, actually address it? Well, I don't know if brushing it to the side is what I I would do. I think uh, I would use the, we're going to handle this internally. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, that's what we're doing, and I have no other comment. Now, if it doesn't work out internally, then obviously you would have to have to deal with whatever shook out, okay? Mm-hmm. But I think he'll deal with that internally. And, uh, you know, Ashton is under, it seems like, a lot of pressure, self-imposed pressure, not playing quite like he has or he's capable of. And maybe that pressure got to him, trying to do well, trying to help the team win, and sometimes guys, uh, when they get on uh, hot streaks, guys are wide open. They're happy. Sometimes they're hard to deal with when, when they're on a on a hot streak shooting or whatever it may be. And then when guys get down, man, it's tough. You got to work hard to get up. And maybe some of those emotions with uh, some of his play uh, just uh, came out. And uh, I, I think he and Calipari will handle it, handle it internally, and we'll move forward. 
All right, we're talking with Mike Pratt here on the Leach Report. I'm Dan Reefer sitting in for Tom, and we will continue with Mike when uh, the Leach Report continues. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the cats. Dan Reefer sitting in for Tom Leach this morning on the Leach Report. And the Leach Report is served up by Wild Eggs. We are on the phone with Mike Pratt. And, um, Mike, you look at, you hear this theory about uh, win streaks, you know, heading into the NCAA tournament. And uh, you look back at the 2012 national championship team and that uh, game against Vanderbilt in the SEC title game, that Kentucky loss. You look at uh, the Mississippi State loss in 1996 and that championship team. Um, it, it seems, and then I, I, Kyle Tucker of the Athletic did a, an article where he went back and looked at how many teams um, had long winning streaks going into the NCAA tournament and ended up national championships, and there were very few. Do you subscribe to the fact that uh, this can be a good thing, that uh, maybe losing a game instead of entering the tournament on what would have been, I guess, a 13-game win streak um, would be helpful? Well, I'm, I'm not one who thinks you you uh, you want to lose. It, you know, I played every game I could play to win. Okay, and, yeah. and I'm a bad loser, so I don't like <laughs> losing. But I understand the correlation, and I understand the history of it, which is all very interesting. But I think what it boils down to, Dan, is how each one of those teams that you're talk, you're talking about, to include this one, how they adjust themselves, their attitude, their total team after a loss. And, you know, the 12 team that lost down there in New Orleans uh, to Vanderbilt uh, regrouped and said, look, it's no big deal. We're pretty daggone good. We've won a bunch of games. Let's get back to work. And if this team decides that they're going to react that way and, and own the loss and say, let's get better going forward, that's the bottom line. The bottom line is how good can we get day-to-day? How much better can we get day-to-day? If you take that attitude and just bury that loss in your mind, and it is mental, bury that loss in your mind and move forward, and you'll see you'll see what this team's made of. Well, you know, fans have a tendency to overreact. We all do. And you look at sure. that, and everything was going so well. You know, Kentucky was playing just so so wonderfully. I mean, maybe the best offensive half they have had all season. And then in the snap of a finger, it all went south. And now, uh, you know, thoughts go to, well, was winning covering up some warts? You know, what what happens now? Oh, my gosh, you know, Hagens is arguing with the coach. He won't go in the game. Uh, uh, I wonder if if promotion of players, when you're trying to build a team and it's all team and, and – you know, sacrificing your ego and, and your minutes and your points for the team, which is something Calipari has to do with these talented guys. And then you have a picnic campaign. Uh, but Emmanuel Quickly's playing so well that within a few days later, you've got to get one out there for Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, but uh, is this Ashton Hagen's team? He's the point guard. Um, when you have those little promotional campaigns for these other guys, which are wonderful, I think, but I wonder, do you think it has any effect on the team when you're trying to say this is all about the team and then you're promoting one guy or another? Well, they, they were 
promoting Higgins for Defensive Player of the Year. They promote him yeah. quick and then Nick. And so they tried to spread it around, not as good as you can do. Now, the answer to your question is it's human nature maybe to be a little jealous, okay, of somebody else, particularly if you think you're as valuable as that other person. But as an athlete, if you if you've come along and you've grown through playing with a team, you have the team attitude, you don't let that totally dominate your play or your thought. You uh, take that into consideration, and maybe it hurts you, but you move forward because you're trying to make a point about yourself. So you never know how guys take it. I mean, you can take it that way, or you can take it and be mad and think you're getting screwed and, and you know, sulk and pout. It's really up to the it's up to the players and the team on how they respond. And that's where leadership comes in on a team where guys can sense maybe, and you can sense as a team member where your team is going attitude-wise. And the leaders grab the team and uh, pull them together and talk it through and then move on. And that's all part of, uh, I think, regrouping after this loss. If indeed that is a problem, and I'm not saying it is, but right. if it is somewhat of a problem, now you have a loss. You got to regroup. You got to regroup uh, together as a team, not individually. It has felt like, though, that this team really enjoys one another. And Joel Justice just this week said, "You know what really helped us is over. You know, Christmas we don't have the normal camp cow that we would normally we've been able to have in the past because of NCAA restrictions on how much practice and all that." And he said so. You know, team meals over Christmas, bonding over meals was really something that got these guys together. And since then, every indication that we've seen that we're able, you know, the the public is able to see, is that these guys truly do like one another. And if if that's the case, uh, you would imagine they'll get this thing figured out. Yeah, I mean, look, we're we're overreacting to one loss. This team is not a (laughs) great team. Okay, this is a very good team, a very talented team that when they're hitting on all cylinders, they can play with anybody. But uh, they got to be hitting on all cylinders. And um, I think our fan base wants them to be great and wants them to dominate and all this stuff. But it's all about winning and coming together at the right time. This might be the the best time uh, to come together and and move forward. And, And I think they're a very close team. I can sense that. Um, on the road, you've not sensed that on some previous teams, but you sense it with this yeah. team that you know they like each other, they're willing to play together. And I think until until the other night, I think they all understood their individual roles on the team. Yeah. And in last night or, or Tuesday night, it seemed like they kind of got out of that rhythm, the rhythm they were in. Okay, it's your turn now, quick, or it's your turn now, Nick, or EJ. Now we need to come on, do the job on the boards. All those things, those roles played out, guys accepted them and played to them. And, and I didn't see that on Tuesday night. Thank you, Mike. Got to get to a break. We'll be back with more on the Leach Report. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. Welcome back to the Leach Report. I'm Dan Reefer, filling in for Tom Leach this morning. Great stuff with Mike Pratt. Uh, just, you know, getting his perspective on, you know, how he would handle the situation with Ashton Hagens and, uh, you know, the overreaction uh, to everything and what he's seen from this team on the road. And just really good insight from 
uh, the former Wildcat himself and, and former coach. Uh, now we are joined by Justin Rowland uh, from Rivals and uh, Cats Illustrated here on the Leach Report. Uh, Justin, uh, let's just start with uh, the Ashton Hagen situation. What is your what are your takeaways from all of that? Is uh, is it overreaction? Uh, are you concerned? Uh, just what are, what are your takeaways? Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, overreaction. Yes, there is concern. I mean, both. <laughs> if if uh, you know, just the way that he's been playing for the last month, month and a half of the season, he's just not at the level that he was. He's not making good decisions with the basketball. He's not been an efficient player on offense or frankly a consistently great defensive player he does make a lot of you know plays that other people don't that that don't even always show up in the stat sheet he's just always going to be that kind of guy but you know Kentucky can't win a championship with him playing the way that he's played the last six weeks or so I just don't think they can and uh you know I I don't want to read too much into the other stuff until we see how he rebounds here here in the near future well, he played well against Auburn on Saturday. You know, that was the thing. He, has had, he had had uh, struggles for so long. Uh, it had come to the surface, and something I had noticed is, you know, John Calipari gradually began to acknowledge it. At first it was uh, Ashton's the least of our worries. Uh, we have to have Ashton on the floor to be our best version of ourselves. He He does so many other things. We're not worried about this. We're not worried about this. And then it was, yeah. Six turnovers, come on, that's too many. That's right. And then the next thing was, well, yeah, he has played a lot. Would we consider maybe uh, giving him a rest? Uh, maybe we might consider uh, sitting him out if, if, you know, if, if that needs to happen. So there's been that. And then the lead-up to that Auburn game, he responds and plays uh, pretty darn good against Auburn. He winds up, I think, two for 13 in that game. Uh, but he didn't take bad shots It just – continues to be those ones he misses right at the rim, which is just inexplicable. Uh, but they weren't bad shots. He took a, a three, but it was wide open. Uh, the rest of his game was was pretty darn good. And then this thing is just just kind of um, is mind-boggling the way that turned out against Tennessee. But you don't believe that I mean, I know you say Kentucky can't win a championship with him playing the way he has recently, but Kentucky also can't win a championship if he's not part of the plan, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know whether he just needs to take a downsized role or, or if they need to run the offense through somebody else more more frequently or what, but I mean, I just, I just a, a sober assessment of the situation, he's not a good decision maker right now. And I watched him, you know, there at the Elite Eight, uh, last season against Auburn, he had the same look in his eye. You know, it, it, it was it was a lack of confidence in what he was going to do with the basketball, and you know that's where the turnovers are coming from. That's where the offensive fouls. That's a big part of the problem. You know, he's, the turnovers, the fouls, the offensive fouls count as both. Yeah, and that's been a big a big part of that as well. He's just not as quick making decisions. What's he going to do with the ball? Where's where's the defense going to be anticipating what's going to happen next? Um, the game hasn't slowed down for him like it has for some other players. And, you know, that's a daunting thing. I mean, Kentucky might be good enough to make the Sweet 16 or the, or the Elite Eight, but unless the light switch goes back on for him, we see the player that we saw early this season and maybe at the midway point last season, you know, it, it, it could bury them. Well, he's still a guy who leads the Southeastern Conference in assists, so uh, it, it's still there. But the emergence of Tyrese Maxey, 
uh, here lately. The the way EJ Montgomery has has played recently, uh, those two things, and of course Emmanuel quickly, uh, those things are positives. But also, Nick has has gone back a little bit, and that's got to be concerning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing about him is even when he's not putting up huge numbers, and he hasn't been putting up huge numbers lately, he's still generally been solid when he's been playing. He's still generally played solid defense. He's still rebounded. He's still produced really well. I think one game recently he only played 19 minutes, but in those 19 minutes he had like 14 points and six rebounds. So, yeah, you know, I, I think he's, he's at least not hurting them. His big thing is he's just got to be able to stay on the court. There's some teams that they just can't beat if they put a front line of Montgomery and Sistine out there, or, or they don't have him. So he's got to at least be able to avoid the fouls. Yeah, because if E.J. Montgomery, Nate Sistine, and Keon Brooks are basically the four by committee. And when you look at their combined statistics game to game, it's usually pretty good. It's around, you know, 16 to 20 points and um, 9 to, to 12 or more rebounds. That's not bad. So if, if, if Nick can hold his his spot down and play a little bit better defensively against physical guys. Uh, they have to have that down the stretch. And the other thing, uh, and this was brought up by uh, the, the guy who runs the hoops insight uh, account that Kentucky's three guards, Hagen's maxi and quickly have taken such a large majority of the shots in the second half uh, that it, it, it puts them in bad spots when you've got, one of the best field goal percentage guys in the country, and Nick Richards, and you've got E.J. Montgomery asking for the ball, which I thought was interesting against Tennessee. He finally actually did what Kenny Payne said, which was bark at his guard who wasn't throwing him the ball. But that that's something that John Calipari has said in the past. If you don't have a post presence, you're a fraud, and it's something that he believes in. And uh, we saw how he tried to do it with Carl Towns in 2015 where it was just so so much of a – a point to feed the ball inside. That's how they finished off the game against Notre Dame. That's how he wanted to finish the game against Wisconsin to the point where they just had shot clock violations because they were so adamant about getting it in the post and couldn't. But that's that's who Calipari is at his, at his heart, right, is feed the big guy in the end. Yeah, and the one thing I would say, and this isn't a criticism because Nick Richards has had a great season. It's a great transformation story, a great improvement story. He's got a bright future playing basketball. I know that there's a campaign for him to be an All-American, but he's not a first-team All-American. He's a, he's a really good big man at the college level, but he's not Carl Anthony Towns. A lot of his offensive efficiency is is him not taking 15 shots a game. It's, it's working in really good looks for him and playing off of some really talented guards. It's not to say he can't score in a variety of ways. He can knock down a 15-foot jumper when he's wide open. He can hit a hook shot uh, from, from six feet and in when he's got a good angle. He can, he can do a little up and under. He's got a nice array of moves, but he's not, he's not a first-team All-American offensive player. He could, he could make it in the NBA, but it's not going to be because of how he projects posting up against the league's best defensive big men. Um, and so I, I would be okay with him taking seven or eight shots a game, um, but you know, they, they, we've always known this team is going to be very dependent on its guards. Yeah. All right, Justin Rowland from Cats Illustrated on with us here on the Leach Report. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little football. It's spring football. It's, it's here. It's happening. We'll do that next on the Leach Report.
This is where the Big Blue Nation gathers. It's Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report, followed by Kentucky Sports Radio. I'm Dan Rafer, sitting in for Tom Leach this morning. Guests on the Leach Report come to you on the Kentucky Hemp Works Hotline. And we are continuing along with Justin Rowland from Cats Illustrated. And I did want to talk football uh, because spring football is here, started this week. What are you most interested in seeing when it comes to spring football? Well, I'm really intrigued by watching a couple of quarterbacks that are probably not going to be the starter. You know, I yeah. think Joey Gatewood and Bo Allen are going to be really fascinating to watch because between one of the two of those guys and maybe both of them, that's a huge part of the future of Kentucky football. you got to think that at least one of them is going to turn out to be a pretty good prospect. Um, just a great incoming class of talent there. Um, they're not really replacing a whole lot. So, you know, how much have guys improved? But there are a number of players who are coming back from either injuries or they sat out a year with transfer last season. So somebody like Kelvin Joseph, the LSU transfer who is already slotted in as a starting cornerback over two guys, Jamari Brown and Cedric Dort, that were starters last season. So, yeah. uh, I mean, the fact that he was at LSU, DBU, and he really hasn't played much in college and is already a starter. I mean, what kind of talent are we talking about here? Are we talking about, you know, a Derek Beatty, Lonnie Johnson kind of player right off the bat? That could really impact things. Yeah, and with Joey Gatewood and Bo Allen, I mean, there's a little bit of a sentiment out there. I'm not saying a lot, but you just hear some rumblings here or there that because Terry Wilson hasn't gone, he didn't get to go through that season last year where we heard the coaches say how excited they were about how much he had improved, and uh, you didn't get to see it. And so based on, you know, his first season, which was, you know, him learning, and then he had a injury midseason that uh, limited him some, there's still some skepticism there about uh, what he can do and, and how how good of a quarterback will he be. So there's always going to be that 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 idea that, oh, well, Joey Gatewood or, or Bo Allen, what if we're sitting on uh, you know the next Tim Couch over here uh, or the next Andre Woodson? Uh, so wh- what must be going through those guys' uh, minds, and, 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 and especially if this transfer rule – you know, goes through and Gatewood is eligible this year. Is he going to be able to be patient enough to sit behind Terry Wilson? Because I don't think there's any doubt that it's Terry Wilson's job. No, and it should be. I mean, he's 12-3 and three as Kentucky's starting quarterback. <laughs> yeah. He's like an 80% winning percentage at Kentucky football, which is unheard of. And frankly, that's not entirely or even mostly because of him going out and winning games himself, but he at least did not lose those games. And I think what we saw last season, the first couple of games, granted the competition wasn't great, but I thought we saw a quarterback that was starting to become more of a playmaker and less of a game manager. Now, he had the horse collar injury, so we'll never know. But I thought there were signs that his deep ball was more accurate. He had more confidence in the pocket. You could tell his mechanics were a little bit better. And some of those things are things he can work on even before the summer when he's really back out there and then in fall camp when he's out out there in full. So, I mean, it's going to be his job. I don't think it's too much to ask Gatewood to wait one year. Now, I have said this. If Gatewood is immediately eligible, it's entirely possible that he comes in and the the light just goes on and he's awesome because he's that kind of talent. But I I don't think that's the most likely scenario. Of the receivers, uh, who do you think is most likely to to really stand out? I mean, Eddie Grand brought up that they completed passes to eight different receivers 
early on last season before they had to make the, the switch. But Josh Ali, Lynn Bowden, said that he's the best route runner on the team. He has you know, the most experience. Isaiah Epps isn't even going through spring, still uh, recovering from his injury. Uh, I guess, you know, there's Alan Daly, uh, Cleavon Thomas, you know, Michael Drennan's going to come in as a true freshman. Uh, who, who do you think is most likely that did you see a real rise in ascension? Josh Ali is the guy that needs to become a really good player, like a Juice Johnson, Jeff Bidette. Yeah. kind of producer. Like, I'm not saying 1,000 yards, but maybe like 500, 600 yards. He needs to be a playmaker. And we saw in that last drive against Virginia Tech, uh, he was that, even though last year's offense didn't give the receivers much of a chance to showcase themselves. Between Allen Daly, Bryce Oliver, Isaiah Epps, some other guys, they have some returning talent at receiver. I think Cleavon Thomas is somebody that's been overlooked. Um, he, he was a really solid backup and then a starter with the Lynn Bowden situation. And he's experienced. I think Justin Rigg will see more receptions. Last season, Keaton Upshaw had nine catches in the first four or five games of the year with a touchdown against Florida. A.J. Rose, catching pass out of the backfield, was on track for about a 30-catch season. So they're not going to have a 1,000-yard receiver, but they could have a bunch of guys with 20-plus receptions. I am really excited to see if Tay-Tay Crooms uh, gets into the mix because his kind of speed could be that that Jeff Bidette take the uh, top off the defense speed that we've seen in the past. Yeah, he's kind of in that next tier. I would say after Ali, Epps, Oliver, Daly, he's in that next tier of receiver. And, and Thomas with uh, with Demarcus Harris and B.J. Alexander and some of the freshmen that, you know, we, we just don't know enough to pass judgment on yet. But, yeah, playmaking is definitely what you think he's good at. And right before we let you go, defensively, I mean, does this, does this team have a chance to be uh, – among the best that they've had, I mean, they, we don't know if they don't have a Josh Allen, obviously, uh, but we don't know, you know, who may emerge. But they seem to have the depth of, of maybe the best depth they've had on defense uh, since Mark Stoops has been there. Well, yeah, I mean, look at it like this. I, I would look less at comparing it to, to the 2018 defense with Allen, which was the best Kentucky defense in my lifetime. And, yeah. and look at last year's defense, when there just wasn't the drop-off that everybody expected in terms of sacks, in terms of points allowed, in terms of yards for play, in terms of touchdown passes allowed. In almost every metric, there was not a major drop-off, which is remarkable considering what they lost. And now they bring everybody back and they add guys like Kelvin Joseph. I mean, absolutely, they have a chance to be one of the best, if not the best, Kentucky defense in our lifetimes. And you know, I, I don't want to put it up against the 18 team because Allen was such a unique, singular talent. But, you know, the last three years should be the, the best three defenses that we've seen in, in at least two decades. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Justin. We, uh, we appreciate it as always. Always great to talk to you. And coming up next, we're going to talk to Darren Hendrick as the UK women's basketball team begins the SEC tournament tomorrow when the Leach Report continues. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can interact with the show via Twitter at Leach Report. Now, here's Tom. Dan Reefer sitting in for Tom Leach as we uh, finish up the final segment here on the Leach Report with Darren Hedrick. The the Leach Report is served up by Wild Eggs. And uh, Darren is the voice, of course, of the U.K. women's basketball team and also Kentucky baseball uh, Darren, the SEC tournament is underway beginning yesterday with uh, victories by Auburn and 
Uh, Missouri. Missouri now takes on Tennessee. Missouri the 11th seed, Tennessee the 6th seed. That game tonight at 8 o'clock Eastern time on the SEC Network. And the winner plays Kentucky Friday night at 8 o'clock Eastern, also on the SEC Network. Who would Kentucky prefer in that game? Well, I think if you look at it on paper, Dan, you'd rather play Missouri, a team that you already beat, and you did so convincingly on the road without Ryan Howard. Tennessee is just such a tough matchup because they are the tallest team in college basketball on the women's side. They're just big across the board. But Kentucky's also beaten them, so you take whatever the draw gives you and and go out there and give it your best. Uh, Missouri's not going to beat Tennessee. I shouldn't even ask you that question. It's going to (laughs) be Tennessee and Kentucky again. The first time they met, Kentucky won that game uh, by four points. And, you know, the history of that series, there's a, uh, you know, it's, it's a rivalry, no doubt about it. Uh, but how do you feel this team is going right now? Things seem to be going so well, and then they had that clunker uh, in you know the, the season finale down there at Vanderbilt. Yeah, I think the Vanderbilt game was just an aberration because this team had really been coming together. They had a solid win over Georgia, and they had some players really step up around Ryan. You think about Kiki McKinney and Jada Roper, Amanda Pascal, and Tatiana Wyatt, and everybody just felt like kind of had that off day outside of Ryan. Just one of those days where just you couldn't get the ball to go in the basket, and Vanderbilt made that run. I think that was just an aberration. Uh, a week off here with the double bye and a chance to reset. We should They should be ready to go on Friday. Well, and it sets up nicely, too, because if Kentucky can get by who we think will be Tennessee, uh, you would expect Mississippi State possibly to be mm-hmm. there. Uh, Kentucky proved to itself it could beat Mississippi State, and then now you'd be in the championship game against a South Carolina team that uh, you played pretty tough on your home court. Uh, don't expect Kentucky to, to beat South Carolina necessarily, but to be back in that championship game would be pretty pretty special. Yeah, absolutely it would. And, you know, you look at last year, they finished fourth in the league, and you had Ryan with Macy and Taylor. Now you lose Macy and Taylor, and you, you finish better. You, you still take another step forward, finishing third. And now if you can make a deep run in the SEC tournament, it's just icing on the cake. But I, I really like the way this team has come along this year and improved under Coach Mitchell and his staff. Thanks, Darren. we got to go. Thanks for listening to The Leach Report. Yes, sir. And be sure to follow The Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to leechreport at gmail.com. See you next time.